Today on Hanging with Champions, Dara and I hang out with one of the greatest Major League managers of all time, and he has his three World Series rings to prove it. Tony La Russa joins us today. Hanging with Champions is next. Welcome to Hanging with Champions, where every week you, me, and all of us get to hang out with some of the greatest of the greats of Olympic and sports history. We're navigating some really challenging coronavirus disruptions, and we're all frankly looking for some positive distractions. So we're looking for our heroes, for our idols, and in a word, sports. We miss you, sports. And so we're going to give you some kind of casual access into these athletes' lives. We'll throw in some special guests, some contests, some other surprises. And we even have a chance for you, some of our audience, to join in and hang out with us. I'm grateful to present my socially distant co-host, 12-time Olympic medalist, four-time Olympic champion, the legendary Dara Torres. Hi, Dara. How are you coping? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Just a little bored, as probably most people are, but I'm doing well. And God, I love that intro. I think I'm going to take you to all my speeches once I can start giving <laughs> speeches and have you introduce me. That was awesome. I've had a lot. I've had 53 days to write out the, the best open possible uh, for this show here today. Hey, so you're, you're in the athletic world still with all of your Instagram and your exercises, trying to stay connected with the world and your athlete friends. What kind of impact is this having? What kind of toll is it, is it taking on them? You know, I think it's been tough. I mean, I'm not even in sports anymore, and it's been tough for me, and I'm trying to exercise every day. But I, I've talked to some fellow Olympians, and, you know, they're finding unique ways to work out. Some are using, um, for swimmers, are using, like, the stretch cords and doing sort of mimicking the stroke. Uh, some are pretending to uh, lay on a table and be swimming, but someone's holding them and they're getting a little workout in, you know, they're just coming up with really innovative ideas, but they also know that the more they stay in shape, the better off they'll be. They kind of have to just reset and know that, okay, it's not 2020 anymore. We're going for 2021. So everything's just sort of a mental and a physical reset for those athletes competing for the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, a lot of families out there are kind of adjusting to the new normal of having the kids in their homes for the most part, 24-7, being teachers, being tutors. You've become a Spanish tutor to your daughter, Tessa, right? How's that going? I have to tell you, I, I am so glad that she's 14 and not like six or five because I think I'd be pulling my hair out. For the most part, she's pretty self-sufficient every once in a while. Uh, like before we came on air, I had to help her with some Spanish. So uh, I feel like I'm very lucky that I only have one child and that she's pretty self-sufficient. All right. Well, hey, why don't we jump into our, our champion who's uh, in the on-deck circle, okay? Sounds great. Everybody out there knows him. Uh, quite honestly, he's maybe the best manager in Major League Baseball history. He devoted 33 years of his life to managing baseball teams, three World Series titles, and it is the, uh, the one, the only, Tony La Russa. And Tony, first off, thanks for joining Dara and myself here today. And uh, when's the last time you got a haircut? <laughs> <laughs> In March. <laughs> March. Well, you know, most accomplished managers, coaches, athletes cannot sit still, me included. What have you been doing for this past, like, five or six weeks? Well, one way I'm fortunate because I'm able to walk every day. I walk early. I'm here in Arizona. So you walk before it gets hot, and then sometimes I walk right before uh, sunset. I do some exercising. But I like to read, and uh, you, know, you know as well that uh, we're part of the Animal Rescue Foundation. So there are some uh, projects that ARF is still working to, to get through. So, I, I mean, I stay busy. I, one thing I don't do is complain because there, there are a lot of people out there that are really hurting, and uh, I'm just uh, trying to hang in. 
So do we, you want me to send you my exercises then? Uh, I've watched a couple. I mean, I, I mean, as you got older, you've gotten soft. Oh really. my gosh. All I'm right, kidding. bring it on. I'm going to start sending you some then. I need I'm a kidding. videotape to see how you do though. <laughs> what, what are you reading right now, Tony? How do you occupy the time with books? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm a book lover. In fact, I've said many times that when I re really retire, I want to open a bookstore. So I, I save all the books I have. During the off season, I would always read nonfiction, you know, trying to, biographies, trying to be a better leader. But once the season started, which is spring training, I read nothing but fiction. And uh, right now, you know, one, a good friend uh, published Camino Wins, John Grisham. So I just finished that. But I like espionage. You know, I've got Lee Child and Vince Flynn when he was alive and Brad Thor, all these guys, Mark Graney. So I, I read a lot of fiction now. Wait, you just said when you really retire, you started as a player in 63 and you're still working in 2019 now with the Angels. When are you going to retire or do you just not see that in the near future? Not that I want you to retire because I love you out there. You know, you've had an awesome career and, you know, just it's so fun to watch what you've done. But, you know, you just you just love the sport so much. You just don't want to retire. Is that right? Well, the reality is I don't know anything else. Think about it. <laughs> That's I, completely I not true. Cool. For 50 years, I've been in baseball doing something I love, so I'm very fortunate. Uh, the difference is once you get off the field and you get upstairs, you know, you, you get a different perspective. You understand more about scouting and player development. You also learn that it's easier on the field where you're actually involved in the competition. So the answer is as long as uh, somebody thinks that some of the experience and expertise is helpful, you know, I plan to keep working. And now, fortunately, I'm with the Angels. Yeah. The uh, Los Angeles Angels and uh, of Anaheim, and I'm really excited. We've got a really good-looking team, great attitude, great ownership, wonderful coaching staff. So let's get back to playing baseball. Does this almost feel like the longest off-season for you, Tony? Because you know you're with a new organization. You want to make a great impression. You want to help turn things around for the Angels this year. Yet you can't be around the players. You can't get people ready, and you don't know when opening day is going to be. Well, you know, I'm a, because I'm a reader, I'm a terrible you know, wordsmith, and I would call this the lost, the almost lost season that I hope is not lost. So it's, it's, uh, it was, you know, you were, we were teased because we had several weeks of spring training and everybody, all 30 teams, and you could see what you had, and we were excited. So were other teams. And right about the time that, uh, you know, you get to the second, the middle part of the games, it's over. And now we're, I'm just really encouraged Major League Baseball is trying so hard to get back on the field with that. Hanging in there and hoping that happens. Yeah, what are you hearing? What's the latest? Well, I, I, I stay in touch with uh, some of my friends um, in the game, and I know that they realize that you know, the economy, the virus, those are the priority problems. But once we start getting back to where we're, re, you know, we're revamping and getting back into a, some kind of normalcy, sports plays an important role. So. At this point, the leaders in Major League Baseball and the Player Association, they're really mm -hmm. spending a lot of time with alternatives. And you've seen them written about, will the uh, games be in Arizona, Arizona, Florida? And now will you be able to play in your own city? So I, I just think that uh, what I'm hearing is there's a tremendous amount of effort looking at alternatives with the unknown of when can you actually have clearance to get teams together to practice and play.
You talk about how excited you are to be back with the Angels. You know, Albert Pujols is on that team. He played with you in St. Louis. And I know he's a good friend with you. How excited are you to be back there with him? It's been an actual bonus. Um, you know, we stayed close over the years, but, you know, I, I would always describe for 11 years, his first 11 years and my last 11 years, we were together. And, and the way he goes about it as a teammate, as a person, as a player, I mean, I always had a warm feeling, a, a smile when I see him because he never, he's relentless about doing the right thing. So for this year in 2020, uh, being in the same clubhouse with him and watching him work, and he's in great shape, uh, I get that same happiness, satisfaction, baseball satisfaction of watching one of the game's greatest still working to, uh, to help the Angels get into the playoffs hopefully win a World Series. It's that corny. It's not corny at all. Uh, hey, Tony, Dara brought up earlier your, your debut year as a player in the big leagues. I'm always fascinated to hear about the first day in the big leagues, in your case as a manager, because doing some digging, th this was a really unique day in baseball history, the day that you were brought in to be the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Tell me a little bit more about August 2nd, 1979, and everything that was happening in your life in the world of baseball? Well, you just saved yourself some agony, Patrick, because I thought you were talking about my first experience in Major League Baseball was as a player, and I, and I forget all about my thing. <laughs> That's forgotten. But uh, it's 1979, the, uh, August 2nd. If you read the paper the next day, there's a, in, in a small little thing in the bottom, it says White Sox hire unknown, lousy player, Tony La Russa. But the headline, unfortunately, was Thurman Munson crashes his plane and dies. So it's, it's a real, you know, both sides of it. Uh, he was such a great professional. And uh, it was so, you know, the sadness of losing somebody early, like a Roy Halliday recently, you know. Uh, but that next day was my first game as a manager when it was White Sox in Toronto. And in fact, Four days later, we had to go to New York, and they were still mourning and suffering. It was very sad. And as a matter of fact, the Yankees actually played the day before you were hired at Comiskey Park against the White Sox, and Thurman Munson started at first base. That was his last game. Well, you, Patrick, you do a great job of, of uh, research because that, that's true. And, uh, you know, these were the, you know, the amazing Yankees, and we were the, the, the 79 or uh, 88 uh, White Sox that were struggling to get even be competitive. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot, as you say, that when, when I think about getting hired, a piece of me, uh, uh, you know, appreciated the opportunity and had no idea it would last 30 plus years. But the biggest part of me is, you know, the game is about its stars and losing a star like Thurman, very sad. Is there a specific uh, job that you like best? I mean, obviously, your manager, White Sox, A's, Cardinals, you work for Major League Baseball, the Diamondbacks, Boston Red Sox, and now the Angels. Is there one that really sticks out for you, or are they just sort of different times in your life when, you know, you enjoy doing that job? There are the, the superficial answer is as long as it's with baseball, you know, I love it. But that's, that's just – that's really begging the, the question because – uh, you know, you know, I played for a long time and was not good. Having a chance to manage and manage in the big leagues, by far, uh, it's, it's, it's realizing a dream from the bench, which is close enough for me, and to have it for that long and 
you know, having a, you know, just a wonderful experience in Chicago with the White Sox, the A's in Oakland, and then the Cardinals. Uh, having a man, being a manager, with a, and we were always tied in with our coaching staff, trying to put players in a position to succeed. It's just like, you know, in your career, you know, the coach, your coaches were important, but the, uh, the competition is really the performer. It's you when you swam, it's our players on the field. So uh, being downstairs, having a, a direct part of the action was the best. And there are times now, you know, I'm, you know, I kid with my friends that if, if I could put together our old coaching staff, like Dave Duncan and Dave McKay and, and guys like that, you know, Latchman or Okendo Patini, I'd go back, which is not true, but upstairs, uh, it's a different breed of cat, man. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're removed from the game and it's very frustrating to watch without being able to impact it directly. It's a, it's a great, it's a great statement there because you still have so much to give to the players. You're used to being involved in their day to day and, and kind of forming these guys into the all-stars and champions that they've become. So how much interaction are you comfortable having with the players in the position you're in now with the angels? That's also a really good question because you have to be careful. Uh, and that's one thing that the experience downstairs taught me, you know, the immediate family is the players, the coaches that are with them every day, uh, the training staff, the equipment staff, when you're upstairs, you're a part of it, but not having that day-to-day -day connection. Don't walk into that clubhouse, you know, with, with a shirt pants on, Hey, I'm part of this because you're, you're really not. So I, I was, uh, I had three wonderful opportunities with Arizona, as Dara said, Boston, now with the Angels. Uh, I'm embraced and, and, and welcomed, but I do it very respectfully. And I don't forget that, you know, I'm like a visiting uncle or something. I'm not part of the immediate family. Let's switch gears a little bit. Earlier when we first introduced you, you mentioned ARF, which is your Animal Rescue Foundation. I know that story of how it started, but Patrick and the viewers don't. So maybe you can just give us a short version of, of how you started the Animal Rescue Foundation and why it's so near and dear to your heart. I'll start with a disclaimer. As I describe it, people are going to say this is, this is a, a fiction, Hollywoodish kind of explanation, but I grew up without a companion animal because my mom was traumatized. So when I got married and Elaine had a dog and a cat for the first time, I experienced the wonderful and the amazing magical uh, effect of having a, a, the pets, you know, companion animals. I thought only dogs, then I was introduced to cats. So over the years, uh, our family really got into uh, companion animal rescue because of the euthanasia rate. And, uh, and we were always contributing. And then sure enough, in 1990, this is the third year we're gonna be in a World Series, we had 30,000 people in the Coliseum and playing the Yankees were here again, sounds like Hollywood. There's a cat runs on the field, a feral cat. <laughs> we bring it back into the dugout where I was and I locked the door in the bathroom and the game was over, waited for open animal control. And uh, my wife found out and said, Elaine said, Hey, they're going to kill it tomorrow. So I called, don't kill it. We picked it up, brought it back to the County where we live and realized that all the nonprofit shelters that complement the public efforts were full. So in uh, February of 91, we started something called ARF and we're in our 30th year and uh, and it's been in quite in, incredibly inspiring to all of us because we've gotten tremendous support. What was that cat's name? 
well, we had the, uh, a wonderful owner, the, the, uh, Walter Haas. His wife is Evie, so we called her Evie. We had to ask Walter. He, said, he was honored. He said, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> and how many dogs and cats do you have currently, Tony? Well, the, the, uh, the correct answer, according to everything, is that our number includes fosters that we're taking care of. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now we have four dogs and uh, seven cats. And if we can find homes, you know, then we'll get back to the uh, legal limit, which is, I think, one or two of each. And for people out there watching and listening, where can they go to donate or see what uh, involvements you're in and the website? Where can they go? Yeah, thank you for asking that. <laughs> As a nonprofit, you got to survive, especially during these times. Sure. Uh, our website is arflife.org. Arflife.org. And uh, you'll see everything we've done. And uh, it's a great story because, uh, you know, we've gotten 12 straight years of highest uh, four-star rating from charity navigators. We've got credibility. We've got, and the last thing I'll say is we started out rescuing companion animals that were going to be euthanized in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But then we started putting the ones with special temperament with people with needs, seniors away from their homes, hospitalized, special needs, victims of violence. And eight years ago, we started putting dogs with veterans with PTSD. So we have the dual mission, people rescuing animals, animals rescuing people, and people can read about what we do. And if they want to help, we'd appreciate it. That's wonderful. Well, we, Tony, we can't thank you enough for your time. And last question as we let you go, will we see baseball this summer? I get asked it all the time. In fact, you know, I communicate all the time with, with uh, teammates. And uh, my answer more and more is 60% yes, 40% no. 40% means there are big issues and you have to overcome them to solve them. But when I see the, the, uh, the willingness to, to not give in, not give up, 60% of me thinks that we will play some version of baseball. And I'm thinking it may be sooner rather than later. Good news. Can I say one more thing, Patrick? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned the championship, I'm always intimidated when somebody's got 12 championships. I'm only part of three. So I, I never really feel comfortable around Daryl. Yeah, but you actually have a longer span than I do. So I thought I was in the sport for long, but you've been in your sport for much longer than I have. So and you got 12. You. How do you think I feel, Tony? I'm sitting here with – I have no medals whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, you love the game, and you've been broadcasting a long time. So you, you earned your credibility. I appreciate it. Hey, Tony, best of luck to you, to your family. And again, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, Tony. It was great to see you. Thank you. All right. Tony LaRusse is so grateful for all the stories. Our best to your family. Hope to see you and the LA Angels on the field at some point this summer. Thanks to all of you for hanging with us, for Dara, Tony, and all of us at Hang With Champions. We'll see you next week.